Hebrews chapter 10, and we will read the verses 19 through to chapter 11, verse 2. Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 19. Beginning at verse 19, we read God's word as follows. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So far our reading, we will now stand and sing hymn 68, the verses 1 and 8. This morning comes from Hebrews 11, the verses 24 through 26. And here we read an account of Moses in that famous passage about the heroes of faith. Starting at verse 24 then. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So far. Beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, our reading this morning draws our attention to something that should be important to us all, the topic of faith. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 says, my righteous one will live by faith. But beloved, what does that mean? As I live out my life from day to day. After all, there are all kinds of people in this world who claim to believe in God. Maybe even acknowledging Jesus as their Savior. But this knowledge has little effect on their way of life. And that begs the question, brothers and sisters, has our definition of faith been reduced to something rather small, where I give mental assent, simply accepting the truth of the gospel, and yet it has little effect on my life? Is that an accurate depiction of what true faith should be? And I think we all know, brothers and sisters, that no, true faith needs to work its way out in our way of life. It works its way out in our actions. After all, faith without works is dead. What we believe must inevitably affect our lifestyle. The letter to the Hebrews reminds its original readers in chapter 10, verse 32 and following, but recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. The author of the Hebrews is reminding them that this was how they had responded In true faith in the past, they had shown the fruit of faith by their walk, not just their talk. But something had changed. They were wavering. And the author of the Hebrews is concerned and wants to address this growing problem. And beloved, isn't this our experience as well? We go through Seasons where our walk lines up with our talk, where our actions correspond with our faith. But don't we also go through times when our faith is put to the test? Moments or seasons when we struggle and we fall. And it's at those times that we need to remember why we believed in the first place. The reader of the letter to the Hebrews is told, your faithful response was because you knew 
that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions, a possession that was secured by Christ on the cross and promised to them in a renewed covenant of grace. You can read about that in the preceding verses of Hebrews chapter 10. This covenant ensured that God's people could enter into the most holy presence of God. And the language of our reading assures us that because of these promises, we have confidence and full assurance. And so our text calls us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You see, brothers and sisters, faith is not blind and empty. There is a focal point to our faith. When God's covenant promises come into focus and we recognize the faithfulness of our God, the one who made these promises to us, then we can see more clearly where our hope is to be found. His promises are not unreliable like those of men. No, they are sure. And when we come to see that, then we can confidently place our trust in those promises so that we will not shrink back and be destroyed, but rather believe and be saved. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And that was the source of Moses' confidence. He clung to the sure promises of God. And his life displayed the fruit of that assurance. Therefore, I preach to you God's word under the following theme and points. Encouraged by God's faithfulness to his covenant promises, Moses responds in true faith by refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By choosing to be mistreated with God's people, And finally, by considering the value of Christ above everything. Beloved, the letter to the Hebrews is not a typical letter of Scripture. If you read through it from start to finish, you will notice right away that the usual introductory greeting that accompanies many of the other letters is absent. The author goes straight into the content. You also might notice that unlike many other scriptural letters, it reads much like a sermon. And as a result, many scholars believe that this letter was actually a sermon that was being circulated in the churches for their mutual encouragement, particularly the churches where the Jews were the major members. And this conclusion is in line with what the author states in the final greeting of his letter where he appeals to his reader Bear with my words of exhortation. The author calls them words of exhortation for a good reason. Several times in the book of Hebrews, this same word, exhortation, is used. Sometimes it's translated as exhort, as in Hebrews 3, verse 13. There we read, but exhort one another every day. But other times it is translated as encourage. This word has the sense of making an appeal to urge and to encourage the one being addressed to action. Hebrews 6 verse 18 is an example where those who have fled for refuge to the promises of God, and I quote, 
might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before them. The promises of God are said to be an encouragement to hold fast to our hope. And when we are sure of that hope, Hebrews 11 says we are said to have faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. God's promises encourage that faith. Those promises are an anchor that keep our lives from going adrift. And that's why the Reformed churches have maintained a strong covenantal understanding to the faith in contrast to many others. And isn't that in line with our reading this morning which states very clearly and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And how do we do that, brothers and sisters? We do that by holding up the sure promises of our faithful God, His covenant promises extended to you in your baptism. And that's what's being done every Sunday as the Word of God is faithfully proclaimed. God calls us to gather together on the Lord's Day, and He meets us with the sure promises and encouragement of His Word. And it's important to realize that the authors of the Hebrews is addressing Christians, particularly Hebrew Christians, people familiar with those covenant promises, not all that different from ourselves. And he wants to remind them of what it means to be a covenant child in the aftermath of Christ's victory on the cross. He impresses upon them the superiority of Christ. He is greater than the angels, greater than Moses and the Aaronic priesthood. And now he has become the mediator of a new and a better covenant. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the barrier that sin had presented had been removed so that God's people might enter into the very presence of their holy God. They had every reason to be confident in God's saving work. And so he encourages them. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This was the source of the confidence that the ancients were commended for, including Moses, who you'll look at more closely this morning. Our text says that by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let's work out the details together, brothers and sisters. In Acts 7, Stephen tells us that when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. He wasn't a young man making a rash and spontaneous decision. No, he was a fully grown adult, living a life among the upper crust in Egyptian society. He had grown up in luxury, in the house of Pharaoh's daughter. He had received the finest education, ate the best food of the land, and he had a comfortable future in front of him. He had more in earthly terms than any of his contemporary Israelites. And as a result, he had a lot to lose. And yet our text tells us he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
Something happened when he went out to visit his Israelite brothers. Exodus 2 verse 11 tells us that Moses looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. One of his people. And in that moment, he did not identify with the Egyptian overlords. No, he saw them for what they were. Oppressors of God's people. No, he was an Israelite, a child of God, a child of promise. And according to our text, the reason he did not want to be identified with the Egyptians was because of his faith. He had an unwavering faith in the sure promises of the God of Israel. When God had established the covenant with Abram, he said, the Lord, Scripture says, the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Hebrews 11 verse 22 also reminds us about Joseph. He too knew of this hope. He even instructed the Israelites to take his bones up from the land of Egypt and bury them in the promised land when that day should come. Moses was aware of the promise and that the Lord's deliverance was at hand. And he knew that he had a role to play in the salvation of God's people. He didn't know exactly when or how at this point. God had not yet appeared to him at the burning bush, but he was sure of what he hoped for. The Lord's deliverance was coming. And as a result, Moses defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian, Scripture tells us. The Egyptian represented the oppression of God's people. And according to Stephen in Acts 7, he tells us that Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. And we know what happens next. Moses flees to Midian, where he stays for the next 40 years. The Hebrew readers of this letter knew the story and its outcome. In obedience to the Lord's calling, Moses would eventually lead his people out of captivity and bondage and free them from oppression, just as God had promised to Abraham many years before. The deliverance of God through Moses, brothers and sisters, pointed to something even greater, something even more significant. Earlier on in the book of Hebrews, we read that Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses and the Exodus foreshadowed what was to come in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ, like Moses, saw the bondage of his people. Much like Moses had seen the weight of slavery upon the Israelites. Our Lord Jesus Christ was aware of the burden of the sin that rested upon those who believed. And Hebrews 2 tells us that Jesus came to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
Those under sin had received the just judgment of God, sentenced to death as slaves to sin. Our Savior saw the burden of that sin which God's people bore, and like Moses, he would come to their defense. And hasn't that become the reality, brothers and sisters, for the New Testament believer? Christ has fulfilled the old covenant, establishing a renewed and a better covenant. Death and sin have been defeated so that we live under the promise of the heavenly glory to come. Yes, it's true. We still live in a broken and sinful world where there is much oppression. But our deliverance has been secured. And so, beloved, when we see or experience oppression on account of being one of God's people, we can be assured of one thing, that those who place their hope and their trust in the sure promises of God will receive what they hope for. When we are beset by sins and shortcomings, and when we look in faith to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He will give us salvation. You see, He didn't see our slavery from off in the distance. No, Scripture tells us He was intimately aware of our burden. Much like Moses had become acquainted with the sufferings of the Israelites when he chose to be associated with God's people. And that brings us to our second point. Moses responds in true faith by choosing to be mistreated with God's people. Our text says, Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The Greek here indicates that Moses' choice was not simply thrust upon him. No, it was a conscious decision on Moses' part. He thought about it and he chose to leave all the wealth and the temporary pleasures of Egypt behind. To throw in his lot with the slaves. Just imagine it, brothers and sisters, being 40 years old, well established in life. All the pleasure that the world had to offer were within your grasp. Money was no obstacle. People around you held you in honor and respect. And in spite of all of that, Moses chooses slavery. What a contrast. And to make matters worse, this was not going to be some isolated event, a one-time association with the Israelites that would cause him some temporary discomfort. No, the Greek word used here tells us that his association with the Israelites would result in ongoing mistreatment. This would be the pattern of his life. And from an earthly perspective, Moses' choice seems to defy logic. He gave up a privileged life to be a slave. He would suffer alongside his brothers and sisters in Israel. This was a choice only made in faith. Moses knew that the pleasures of this life were temporary. But the promises of God were eternal. He was confident of what he did not see. Any other response would have been a rejection of God's covenant promises. An act of apostasy. Turning away. And it's at this point, brothers, that we need to consider. 
Is that the kind of confidence that we have in God's promises? Moses was convicted by God's faithfulness. By faith, he was able to look beyond his immediate discomfort to the sure promises of his God. The God of the people of Israel who would lead them out of slavery in Egypt. Shouldn't we be just as assured that our God will lead us out from the bondage of our sin? He saw the promised land on the horizon and he set his sights on the deliverance of his people from slavery. And here again, beloved, we see Moses displaying the pattern of things to come in Jesus Christ. Moses gave up his favorite position in Egypt in order to be united with God's people so that he might be used to deliver them from their slavery. And isn't that what our precious Savior did for us? He gave up his exalted position in heavenly glory, where he dwelt with the Father, choosing rather to become like one of us. He took on human flesh, our very nature, in order to deliver us from our sin and our misery. Philippians 2 verse 7 states that our Savior emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And the Greek word for servant in this passage is often translated as slave. Our Lord and Savior took on the form of one of us, suffering to live in this world as one under the bondage of sin, yet being without sin himself. And in choosing to identify with God's people, Moses endured much suffering at the hands of Pharaoh to ensure the redemption of God's people, as our Savior did. When he became incarnate and suffered upon this earth. Beloved, that should be a great comfort for us. Hebrews 2 verses 17 and 18 tells us why. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Faith in Jesus Christ is well placed because he understands us and our need. He walked in our shoes. And this is a well needed reminder, beloved. The church has enjoyed an unprecedented season of peace and prosperity in North America. But at the present time, we live in a country which is becoming increasingly hostile to God's people. Persecution is on the rise, not only here, but throughout the world. In the Middle East and Africa, there are countries dominated by Islam, where Christian minorities are persecuted, oppressed, and even killed for their faith. And many former Christian nations of the West, the liberal ideologies of secularism, suppress the Christian voice. Just this week, we heard that in Alberta, a school board is trying to prevent a Christian school from using certain verses of the Bible. Our culture, in the name of freedom, laws are being passed to ensure that people have freedom from religion. And I see that in our bulletin this morning, this very 
thing is being addressed. We have freedom under God, not freedom from God. Religious proselytizing is forbidden in many places so that we can no longer legally promote the gospel. We are being excluded from many areas of economic life. You cannot be a judge if you will not perform same-sex marriage ceremonies. You may run into difficulty as a doctor if you refuse to practice abortion. The secular curriculum of our province promotes unscriptural views of sexuality. And the next generation of Canadians being educated in this system are being indoctrinated into a system that hates God's word. How long will it be, brothers and sisters, before our Christian schools are being, will be forced to comply? We can be very thankful that at this point we are still free to exercise religious freedom. But as this trend continues, brothers and sisters, it may become increasingly difficult to identify yourself with God's people. There will be great pressure to live along with the world. And the question that we need to ask is the same one that Moses was faced with. Would you rather enjoy the temporary pleasures offered by this world or the eternal promises entrusted to you by your faithful God? It is only with the confidence that comes through faith in the sure promises of our God that we can stand in the midst of a world bent on oppressing God's people. And when we wonder to ourselves how it will be possible, we need to consider our Lord and Savior. He suffered far more than we could ever imagine, offering himself up to a shameful death on a cross. And as a result, we have the certainty of the promise found in Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then it instructs us, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What it comes down to, brothers and sisters, is this. How much do you value your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And that brings us to our final point. Moses responds in true faith by considering the value of Christ above everything. Verse 26 of our text says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. This verse needs to be understood in connection with verse 25 where Moses chose to suffer rather than to sin. Here in verse 26 we are confronted with his reason. Moses believed that enduring hardship along with God's people or even at the hands of God's people was preferable to a life of sin that embraced the treasures of Egypt. This is the reason he consciously chose to side with the people of God. Our text uses the word reproach, a word that implies the loss of one's standing or to be insulted or disgraced. Moses endured that reproach for the sake of Christ, a Savior that he was only vaguely aware of. 
Yes, God had promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. He knew that the Lord was working out a plan for the salvation of his people. But the fulfillment of that plan remained in the shadows. And yet, that glimmer of hope promised by our faithful God was sufficient for Moses. Moses looked past his immediate circumstances to the sure promises of God. Our text says that the reason for his confidence that he was looking to the reward. He saw the promise of freedom from slavery and the inheritance of the promised land before him. But don't we see even more, brothers and sisters? Scripture teaches us that these events foreshadowed the coming redemption from sin that points to our heavenly inheritance. Christ, like Moses, suffered the reproach of the people. He came down exchanging heavenly glory to become like one of us, but that was only the beginning. He was rejected by the leaders and even by his own people. He led a life of suffering that went the way of the cross, and there he died in shame, hung on a tree, rejected by God and by men. But our Savior was looking past his earthly suffering to the glory that would follow. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this about our Lord and Savior. Here it says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did it for the joy that was set before him. The joy of redeeming a people to God and the glorification that he would receive by being seated at the right hand of the Father. And what does that mean for us today, beloved? It means that the glimmer of hope in the Old Testament has been replaced by the brilliance of the promise we have in Jesus Christ. If the ancients mentioned in Hebrews 11 had such confidence in God's promises which were hidden in the shadows, how much more should we be sure of what we hope for? Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 draws this conclusion. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our Savior overcame the world and the struggles of the flesh and has gone before us to secure for us a place in heavenly glory. Looking to Him. We who believe have that same goal, to overcome the flesh and to be received into heavenly glory. And hasn't God extended that very promise to us in our baptism? The question is, do we believe that promise? Faith is being sure of what we hope for. And we can be sure. God's promises are rock solid because of what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has accomplished. And so, beloved, when you are faced with trials and temptations of various kinds, pressures to conform to the pattern of this unbelieving world, Hebrews 12, verse 3, encourages you to remember your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the trials that he suffered 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When Christ and his promises are the focal point of your faith, when you see him in the glory that he has secured for his people by his suffering, then you can see past every trial that you face. Then you have the encouragement that you need to respond in true faith. Moses rejected his prominent place in this world, choosing rather to suffer with God's people because he was looking past his immediate circumstances to the sure promises extended to Israel through God's covenant of grace. He suffered for the sake of Christ, believing that God would be faithful to his promises. And he was not disappointed. Likewise, Jesus came into the midst of God's people, here on earth to suffer and to die. He secured a heavenly reward for his people, and he extends that reward to you through his covenant of love. Therefore, with your eyes fixed on your Savior, in true faith, may you count the difficulties of your life worth suffering for the sake of your Savior, because he is faithful and will give you the reward that he has promised. Because of Christ, you have a lasting treasure in heaven. God's word confirms it. We may not see it, but we are certain. Amen.